So I'm going to preach to the choir right now and say that if you have not made an IRA contribution, then you should, whether it's a Roth or a traditional IRA. I tell my students, like, put $100 in there. Put, a, I don't know, $100, $200, $500, whatever you can afford. And throughout the year, if you have a spare 50 bucks, put into that, uh, into that IRA account. Over time, you know, compound interest is a beautiful thing. Welcome back for another episode of the Post Money Plan Podcast. My name is Dallas Post, and I am your host. As you know, I believe empowerment comes through knowledge, so my purpose here is to inform, educate, and stimulate thought within personal finance, economics, and investing. You can find me at postmoneyplan.com or search the Post Money Plan in the iTunes podcast app or in Google Play. All right. So in this episode, I wanted to talk about some last minute tax tips and things you should be thinking about for tax filing, little strategies you could take and amendments you could make to your strategy and things like that. Or just to be thinking about next year in the future, things you could be doing for planning for future filings. So I actually have a professional CPA uh, with me today, Lucy Petrie. So I'm going to ask her a few questions about taxes and filing and that kind of stuff. So welcome to the show, Lucy. Thank you, Dallas. Thank you for having me. First off, could you just give us a little background on yourself to give us uh, an understanding of, of where you're coming from on taxes? Absolutely. I'm a tax lawyer, CPA, and professor at the South Texas College of Law. I have been working with the IRS through the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program for the past 17 years. So and... you kind of know what you're talking about. <laughs> I am a bit of a tax nerd, yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, so um, I do do a lot of tax. I actually work on about 1,000 tax returns a year. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've seen a few, so I like it. All right. Take us straight into it. We're getting pretty close to the April 15th deadline for tax filing this year. And I just want to be thinking about what are some last-minute helpful tips for people filing or things that they can, should be thinking about? Yeah, I have several items, but one of the most important things I want people to know is that filing your tax return late does not exempt you from paying taxes or from late payment penalties. So let me explain that. If you file an extension, the due date of your taxes, it doesn't change. The due date of the taxes is still April 15th, or in this case, this year, April 17th, and in some instances, it's due even before that. So the misconception is that by filing later, when you do have the money, that uh, that's when the taxes will be due, when you do file the tax return, and that is not true. So people get caught by that a lot of times. Absolutely, and it's just, it's just not knowing. It's just ignorance, thinking that delaying the filing will delay the due date of payment. So... If there are people that are, for whatever reason, were thinking of filing for an extension, what should they be doing in that case in terms of handling if they owe taxes or things like that? That is a great question. There are a few things that, that we can do. You can file an extension and make an estimated tax payment. Directly with the IRS? Directly with the IRS. If you overpay, you misestimate 
and you overpay, you can apply for a refund, of course, or apply it towards your next year's tax liability. If you underpay, then you're only going to pay penalties and interest on the difference between what you owed and what you actually paid. Is it better to file an extension than to have to amend a return if you know you're going to have to change it? Right. So sometimes people think, well, I do not have all the information. I'm going to include what I have, and then I will add it later. And that is not, it's not a good plan. Because you are, by having to file an amendment, you're going to have to redo your tax return from scratch. So you are putting in twice as much work. Especially if you're filing with like TurboTax or something, then are you going to have to like pay twice? Exactly. So you may have to pay twice. And it, of course, leaves room for mistakes. And it might also confuse the IRS if you're filing several amended returns. It's just not a good idea. Go ahead and file that extension, make an estimated tax payment, and then file the final tax return. What if you don't have all the information that you think you need for a, a filing? And that happens a lot. Sometimes you moved or sometimes your employer didn't send you that W-2. The IRS now has this program where you can register online and access e-services at irs.gov. In there, you can see your tax history and transcripts. It's hard to sign up, and the IRS is picky about it. You can also call them, and they will fax it to you or mail you a copy of the transcripts. Those transcripts will show your tax history and any documents that your employer submitted or if you're a self-employed person, any 1099s, they will show on that transcript, and you can use that to prepare your taxes. I know, for example... For certain kinds of investments, like partnerships, people end up getting K-1s for those. Yes. And a lot of times, the partnerships will send out the K-1s after April 15th, right? Yes, this is true. This is true. They are due March 15th, but they'll be there later, yeah. So if you know that you have investments in partnerships, for example, like oil master limited partnerships or things like that, and that you're going to be getting these K-1s late, then you should plan in advance to be uh, filing for an extension? Yes, that's an option. Something I have done in the past when I knew the source of the income and how much I had received on a K-1, I just went ahead and included it on my tax return, and then I got the K-1 later. But you have to know that it matches, right? You have to know that it's matching and where it's coming from. But that's a, a bit of a more complicated situation. It's definitely more advanced, yes. Yeah. All right. So some more uh, practical tips. If you're an investor and you're doing a lot of trading, maybe even some day trading, you're going to have a lot of activity to reconcile. And you do not want, on the tax return, have to account for every trade showing the, the sale price and the basis, right? And the date. So I started investing back in 2008. And when I was young, I uh, was an active trader. And then I started having to file returns because ah. of that. And I was having to account for every mm-hmm. single trade manually and putting that in. Mm-hmm. To, <laughs> it was yeah. a whole nightmare. So that increases your compliance costs. And by compliance costs, I mean the cost of filing your tax return and, and, and being in compliance, whether you're doing it yourself or 
hiring a professional. Of course, if you're hiring a professional, you have to pay them and it's going to take them more time to do it. But we can now attach a PDF to the tax return and your software should be able to do this. And this way, you just put in the totals, long-term, short-term capital gains, and attach the detail with the tax return. And I think that saves a lot of people time and money with the compliance costs. Nowadays, I know a lot of online software will directly import your 1099s from your brokers. And that way, you don't even have to be typing that stuff in there. Yes. It'll pull in all the information that's needed for your... Yes, Schedule D. So if you're using a tax filing software, a lot of times you can link it with your brokers and have it import your 1099s from the brokers and it will automatically transfer in all your your trading data so that you're not having to worry about that yourself. Yes, that is a beautiful time-saving thing. How about in terms of... If someone has some investments and let's say you're holding long-term investments and one you have a big profit on and another you have a big loss on, now you wouldn't be doing this on April 15th, but maybe at the end of a a year, you might be um, potentially harvesting your tax losses, right? If you're selling positions that have a big loss on them so that you can Offset the Offs- gains. Offset yeah. your gains if you yeah. have other gains that year. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm always afraid to do that to my portfolio in December because I wonder if people are trying to do the same thing, whether that will affect the market. So I, I, I <laughs> so maybe balance it out once a quarter, maybe. Uh, of course, you know, when you're filing your taxes, it's forensic, right? You're looking back at what happened. Right. But you right. can be proactive for the next year. So yeah, absolutely. Offset the gains and losses. Watch out for wash sales rules. Can we just explain that real quick about what a wash sale is? If you get out of a position where you have a loss and then you buy back the same security within 30 days, the losses get washed. It doesn't, it doesn't count. So if you lose money on a trade and then you buy back into the same investment within 30 days... You can't use that loss to offset gains. Right. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to preach to the choir right now and say that if you have not made an IRA contribution, then you should, whether it's a Roth or a traditional IRA. And here's a a game I love to play at this time of the year. And I do it myself. Whether you're doing your taxes yourself or you have a CPA or you're working with a professional I go in and I play and look at the different scenarios of what uh, would your return or liability look like by investing $1,000 in an IRA, traditional IRA, or the the maximum, $5,500. Or what if you did a Roth IRA? What would that look like? And then mind you, keep in mind the the long-term tax uh, incentives. I, for my clients, I I give them the different scenarios. I would say, if you put in $1,000 here... This is what your tax liability is, you know, if you put a $1,000 there. So play with that. I mean, it will give you a good understanding of what your tax return looks like and how it's affected by these contributions. And the unique thing with the retirement contributions is that you're doing everything retrospectively so you're, or forensically. So you're looking back at 2017 
But when it comes to the contributions for retirement, you can actually apply something. So if you do something right before you file your return here in 2018, you can apply that to reduce your income on 2017. This is true. You have until the last day of filing to make a retroactive contribution to the prior year. That is absolutely right. So that's one thing you can do right now, right? You can still go out and make that contribution. And it is so, so easy to open a brokerage account and put that money in. What I'm thinking of, for example, how the retirement contributions could really help you out is that if your adjusted gross income for 2017 was right on the cusp of a tax bracket, maybe the 15% tax bracket at 37950 or the 25% tax bracket at 91900 So if you were right on the cusp there where you're just over that, instead of having to pay your marginal tax rate at that higher amount, if you made some contributions, so if you made like a $5,500 contribution to your IRA, that would reduce your 2017 income as far as the IRS was concerned and then bring you down into that lower tax bracket. So that could really reduce your tax bill by quite a bit, right? That is true. And not just that, but also you get the benefit of the money growing tax deferred. In the retirement account. In the retirement yeah. account, yeah. And, and you know what else? I tell my students, I tell my students, like, put $100 in there. Put, a, I don't know, $100, $200, $500, whatever you can afford. And throughout the year, if you have a spare 50 bucks, put into that, uh, into that IRA account. Over time, you know, compound interest is a beautiful thing. The big thing there is kind of like a behavioral one, because if it's going into a retirement account and you have propensity to spend whatever's in your savings account or your checking account, this money's in your retirement account kind of kept safe from yourself. <laughs> that is true. This is true. And, you know, you just reminded me of another topic, and that is that for those people who had to, absolutely had to take money, an early distribution out of their IRA this year, due to Harvey, there could be an exemption from the early withdrawal penalty. I would recommend discussing it with a professional and see if you qualify for that exemption. Oh, and actually on that subject, if people had losses from Harvey, like personal losses, like house or whatever, they can use those losses to reduce their income also for the year? Possibly. That's called a casualty loss. And yes, we are on a federally declared uh, disaster zone. And there are special provisions, the IRS has made special provisions this year, where you normally would have had to itemize to take those deductions. But this year, they uh, the deductions are available even if you do not itemize. There are very specific rules you have to follow. So I would refer the listeners to irs.gov, disaster relief, or uh, to talk to a professional who can help them navigate the very strict rules for claiming those casualty losses. Okay. All right. So something else I wanted to talk about is identity theft, tax identity theft. That one is huge. I've seen it in the past, but nothing like this before. And the scammers, they're really taking it to another level. The latest scam, here's how it goes. They go and file a fraudulent tax return with your information. 
and show you getting all sorts of credits and, you know, paying no tax whatsoever and a huge tax refund. And then they go ahead and set the refund to go directly to your bank account. And then they will call you and say they're from the IRS and they're demanding that you pay that money back. A lot of people, unfortunately, fall for those. People who are most vulnerable, elderly people or unsophisticated taxpayers will fall so for those. So tell your grandparents. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I actually was not a victim of that situation, but two or three years ago, I was owed a pretty sizable return. And it took a long time to get back from the government because they were holding on to it and they said, we need you to come in physically and wow. verify your identity because a lot of that had been going on, I think in maybe for the 2014 tax year wow. or something, like a lot of that identity yeah. fraud had been going on. I heard of one case where the scammers, they tried to file a fake return and have it sent to their address. But the IRS like ended up sending it to the address they had on file. So it oh, went wow. to the correct person, not the, yeah. the fake one. And they were like, what is this? Like, yeah. I haven't even filed yet. <laughs> no, this is happening all the time. So another one, they will send it to the, it will go to the right address. But then the scammers go after the person and, you know, pretend to be from the IRS and demand the money back. Even though the money didn't go to the bank account, it went to their address. They go after them. My understanding is that the official, the real IRS, will only communicate with you via mail? Thank you for asking that. Because the IRS seldomly will call you. If they call you, they would have sent you a lot of letters and would have been in touch with you already. If you get a call from the IRS out of the bloom, that is probably a scam. Do this. If, you, if you're not sure you get a call, if you're not sure... You ask them what is the department that they're calling from. You go to irs.gov, get the phone number for that department, and then call them back. Problem solved. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a safe measure just to be taking in general. And not even just the IRS, but like if you're getting contacted by anyone that says official, like you get an email that like so you need true. to go file with this. Instead of clicking their link or their phone number, you mm -hmm. go look it up yourself yeah. and go to whatever that is. Just to make sure there's no funny business going on. That is so true. All right, this leads me to the uh, last and boring bit. And I'm going to just preach here and say that if you, um, you need to find a good professional to work with you, somebody who is your partner in your financial growth, make sure you are working with a credentialed professional. You know what I see a lot? I see a lot of five-by-night tax preparers who have no training and it might be tempting because low cost and they will get you more money back than the other ones will. I see this a lot because I represent uh, those taxpayers who have been harmed by unscrupulous tax preparers. So make sure you're working with somebody who is credentialed or has a lot of experience. One way to know whether or not that person is legit uh, the tax preparer will put their PTIN, prepared tax ID number, at the bottom of the tax return, and it will put their names in there, too. If that information is not there, do not file that tax return. Yeah, I've seen too many people harmed because of uh, unscrupulous uh, preparers. On that subject, 
At what point in time, like how wealthy does someone need to be or how complicated does their financial situation need to be in terms of with the tipping point where it becomes better to start dealing with a CPA or one-on-one with someone as opposed to just trying to file online through like H&R Block or, or TurboTax or something like that? That is a great question. I do love it when the taxpayers are involved because they have been filing their tax returns and they have been doing it themselves so they have a better understanding of what is going on with their taxes. I think when you start spending more time researching and having to learn about the items in your tax return and things get complicated, it's definitely time to call a professional. Or find somebody who will grow with you. Somebody who will be willing to review the tax return that you prepared. Somebody who will be willing to take calls or just answer simple tax questions. So the more simple your financial situation is, the more likely you you would be able to either do it yourself or, or like online with the TurboTax. But then as your situation becomes more complicated, maybe you have a mortgage, a health savings account, 401k and other investments and things like that or businesses, then your situation becomes more complicated and it becomes more uh, attractive to be talking with a CPA? Absolutely. If you start getting forms you're not familiar with and your tax file starts growing, you know, things are getting more complicated. You should definitely talk to a tax preparer. And for the budding entrepreneurs out there who are trying to grow a business, How should they be approaching taxes or a CPA? Absolutely. And I understand you're starting out a business, money might be tight, and you don't always have the resources to spend on on professionals. But working with a CPA can really make a difference because we can help you identify tax-saving strategies and business structures that if you put in place early on, will pay off big in the future. Okay. So there's a big change uh, coming Uh up. So there's been a lot of tax law changes, and they are going to affect people who itemize. So it might be that your mortgage and your property tax and your charitable contributions are not going to be enough for you to itemize next year. But is that because the standard deduction is going up a whole lot? Right. So the standard deduction is going to double, basically. For, For 2018. 2018 is going to double. So if your standard deduction this year was 6300 I think it will be 12600 next year. Yeah, okay. There's room for planning there because you might want to do all your charitable contributions in one year. Or um, if you were thinking of a mortgage, if you're planning a mortgage, you can play with the interest rate and know that that's not going to be deductible. It's not going to give you a benefit. All right, here's a big one that uh, is going to affect a lot of people next year. And those are unreimbursed employee deductions. They were usually an itemized deduction. Not usually. They were always an itemized deduction. So we're talking about if you have a cell phone that you use for work, but your employer is not paying you back right, for it? Right. That deduction went away. Or your car, for example, or potentially your home. If you had expenses on behalf of your employer that you were not reimbursed for, you could deduct those as an itemized deduction. Those uh, don't exist anymore. They have gone away. Is that hurting entrepreneurs quite a bit? 
you know, it would help hurt salaried employees who are not reimbursed for the for their expenses. Okay. So here's what I would do if you can't do. It's as for a raise to make up for those expenses. Go up to the employer and say, you know, I'm using my my cell phone and my internet and I have that office at home and I, I will not be able to take those deductions anymore. So how about you know, $0.10, cents, $0.50 cents increase or per hour yeah, or something. Yeah. Get something for it. But I think it's a good argument. Yeah. So just trying to make sure that you as the employee are not the one getting stuck with the bill. Right. Because of the tax changes. Yes. All right. All right. Thank you so much, Lucy. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully these, these are some last minute tips that'll get you a, some extra money back in your pocket this year. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. All right. Catch us next time on another episode of the Post Money Plan podcast.